Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you are joining me for another great episode to help you up your game and improve your results in the world of talent development. And if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know we're all about doing just that through content and through interviews with all kinds of great practitioners and thought leaders and experts out there in the world of talent development. And today is no different. I've got a great interview conversation episode for you on some different topics around talent development, mostly in the area of well-being and resilience. And I've got a really, really great guest on the podcast for you today. And it's really interesting because this is the second time I've interviewed her, but only the first time you'll hear it on this podcast because we did this interview a few weeks ago and we decided afterwards that it just didn't quite live up to the potential of what it could be. We both took responsibility in that and decided that we'd go ahead and record it again. This is the, one of the first times I've done that in, I don't know, four years producing this show. But I wanted to great, make sure that there was some really great content out there, that this was a really valuable conversation for you. And my guest wanted the same thing. So my guest today is Rachel Drunkenmiller, who is the CEO of Unmuted Rachel is on a mission to ignite resilience, connection, engagement, and compassion in organizations with leaders and teams. She's been recognized by the Daily Record as one of Maryland's top 100 women of 2022, Forbes as a next 1,000 honoree in 2021, the number one health promotion professional in the U.S. by the Wellness Council of America in 2015, and a 40 under 40 game changer in 2019. And Rachel is a national thought leader in the field of employee engagement and well-being. And this interview came about, quite honestly, because I've been following Rachel on LinkedIn and seeing all the great content she's been putting out there about resilience and well-being and employee engagement and all these topics that we all care about in the realm of talent development, as well as just sharing her own personal development journey. And a lot of it resonated with me. And so I reached out to her because I knew we needed to talk and be friends and I thought she might make a great guest for this show as well. And so I was excited to get her on. And as I said, we recorded this interview once and decided that uh, we didn't quite cover everything that we wanted to cover. So we went back and did it again. And I think the results absolutely fantastic and were worth the effort. So I'm excited that you get to listen to this conversation with Rachel. We cover all kinds of things around health, around well-being, around self-advocacy, about confidence, elevating energy and engagement, creating great viral events and virtual events, building better relationships within an organization. We talk about leadership and how we can support our leaders in becoming better managers and leaders and supporting their people and igniting more intentionality. Uh, we talk about powering up with purpose. Uh, we talk about a lot of really great topics around the world of talent development, resilience. We're talking about mindset, three questions to ask anytime you're facing a challenge different from the questions that I talk about in my own content and book. And so I know you're going to get a lot of great value out of this podcast. Before I get started, I want to let you know, in case you didn't already hear the ad at the top of the episode, that I am hosting a conference called the Talent Development Think Tank coming up on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I am so excited about this conference to bring this thing back. We hosted it back in January 20. 
2020. It was a huge hit. And of course, then the pandemic hit and we had to put things on hold for a while. But the conference is back. It's going to be better than ever. We're going to be bringing some great speakers, session leaders and participants and people together. And if you work in the world of talent development or you're interested in developing people, this is a conference you're going to want to attend. The website to find out all the information is tdtt.us slash conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. All right. Thank you again for listening. And now, without further ado, my interview with Rachel Druckenmiller about unmuting yourself and creating more resilience and well-being in our organizations. Enjoy. All right. I'm joined now by my friend, Rachel Druckenmiller, who is a keynote speaker, a facilitator, and an expert on resilience and well-being, among many, many other things that we'll get into in this conversation. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you. I've got like the giggles I got to get out of myself. Well, I feel like, and I feel like I say welcome back to the show because we're going to be transparent here. We actually recorded this interview a little while back, and then uh, we mutually decided that it was not our best work, and we were actually going to toss it out, which is something that I don't do very often. You probably don't do very often. And we're going to record this again, which yeah. I feel like puts extra pressure on us to really create a great you know, and valuable conversation. But I actually know now from having multiple conversations with you that no matter what we talk about, it is going to be valuable for our listeners. So welcome back. Thanks. I'm I'm glad to be here and I'm with you. I think sometimes something is you don't get to do over it everything in life, but sometimes when you have the opportunity to do it because you asked for it and someone's gracious enough to say yes, you're like, "All right, well, let's make it even let's make it even better," you know? Yeah, and we and we get to learn from our experiences and make them even better in the future, whether it's from our own mistakes or challenges we hit or whatever it may be. Today we're going to get into the topics of resilience well-being of beating burnout. I'd love to talk to you about leadership and what organizations can do to really support their people with all of these things. Um, But I'd love to start with a little bit of your background and how you got to doing what you're doing today. Yeah. So uh, in terms of kind of like big big picture, how I got to where I am, I grew up in an environment where I felt like I was both in a place of possibility because my parents are both entrepreneurs. So I was grew up with my dad watching Oprah and listening to Tony Robbins and constantly reading everything he could. So I grew up in this environment where there's this love of learning and this curiosity and creativity. And then I also grew up in the same time in a space where my parents were going through some rough stuff in their marriage. And like any kid that's going through a situation that might be a bit traumatic, I internalized all that and decided kind of subconsciously, oh, I have to be the good kid. Got to be the golden child. I've got to have it all together. I cannot express emotions that are going to be an imposition on people. So if I'm sad or if I'm angry, I can't communicate that. I just need to do what's expected of me and be good. And so I I grew up like that and it, you're rewarded. You're like our culture rewards people who show up that way, especially yeah, in sure. get, our get education. Good grades and, and just keep on moving up. Yeah. Like, oh, you're a pat on the head. Great job. Here's a gold star. You know, I was a gold star kid. But I also had these sides of me that wanted to be expressed that I didn't express. Like I loved writing and I I journaled and I loved singing, but I muted all those aspects of who I was publicly because it's really vulnerable to share those parts of yourself. And I I didn't feel safe enough to do that. And so I was shy and timid and guarded and reserved. And for me coming into this place now where I say that I stand for being unmuted, it's because of this journey that I've been through over my entire life. It's not any one moment that led to the unmuting. It's this gradual process I've been going through of, of healing and uncovering things and stepping forward and 
doing bold things and taking risks and turning the mirror on myself and facing hard truths that most of us would rather not spend any time with. <laughs> yeah. That's really been, you know, that's kind of been my journey to get to the place where I was very, felt like I was a very muted version of myself for most of my mm -hmm. life. Like all of us have a version of silencing something. And yeah. now I'm in a space where I'm saying, no, I'm standing for helping people to be bolder and to be more courageous and to express what they think and feel and ask for what they need and want so that they can live a life that is more flourishing and thriving and not one that's burned out and exhausted and defeated. Yeah. You and I, I've been amazed that you and I have a lot in common and, and similar journeys, even though obviously we have our own journeys. There's plenty of differences, right? But I come from a background where my parents had relationship issues, got divorced when I was young, and I was sort of, you know, definitely the good kid, get good grades, um, follow that path. Although my my father was a history teacher, so I wish I'm jealous that yours was listening to, you know, Tony Robbins tapes. I was I knew everything there was to know about American history, but that doesn't really serve me very well now. <laughs> I think the personal development stuff is more useful, but of course, it's all valuable. It's all good stuff. Wait, one more thing on that. We didn't know this before. This just came out in what you just said. My yeah. dad was a history teacher before he was an entrepreneur. Oh, okay. See, my dad <laughs> stayed a history teacher, retired okay. as a history and economics <laughs> teacher, high school teacher. He never I didn't know what entrepreneurship was when I was growing up because there were none in my family. I had to go discover that and then, you know, fell a calling towards it. Like you, I've also overcome many challenges and then have found a desire to call upon those to help other people, right, that are out there trying to live their best life, whatever it may be. And I remember you told me as you got into the well-being space and you were working on wellness, well-being, whatever it was called at the time, you started to run into some of your own challenges that you know made may have made you feel like a hypocrite at the time, but also taught you some important lessons that allowed you to help others, right? Yeah, I you know interestingly got into it. I was always interested in health and human behavior. I thought that was you know fascinating. I thought when I, I studied psychology in undergrad and I did some research around like nutrition and health behaviors because that stuff always fascinated me. And then when I got into the wellness industry around two thousand six two thousand seven, I you know, pursued it like most people did at the time, which was like, okay, everyone get your, get your pedometers going and eat your apples. And you know, <laughs> those things are still important to move and, and to nourish your body and all of that. But what happened for me is I went through some challenges with my own health and well-being. So when I was in my late twenties, I mean, I had, you know, I had acid reflux for a decade and I was on medication for it. I had chronic ear, nose and throat issues and surgeries and procedures and all this stuff as a child. And I started to do my own uncovering and my own experimentation of using food as a way to heal my body and get rid of all these health issues that I'd had my whole life. And through that journey, I started sharing my story with people that I worked with. And they're like, oh, you should, you should blog, you should start a blog. And I was like, I don't, how do you do that? How do you do that? <laughs> like, why would I, would anyone read what I have to say? You know? And so I started a blog called Rachel's Nourishing Kitchen in 2014. And I, at the, I got, you know, I became a health coach. I got certified in culinary nutrition and food safety and all these things. And I was teaching cooking demos to people. And I started to share how that was part of my unmuting was a bit big part of it was mm. recognizing I needed to listen to what my body was telling me about what foods we're basically making it angry. Mm. And and sharing with others, which is something you weren't doing before. That was the other thing we had in common. I was a very shy kid. I was never talking to anybody. Couldn't imagine, you know, sharing something, sharing things like that publicly. And now here we are both, you know, public <laughs> keynote speakers. <laughs> You're like, right? you want to know the stuff that I never told anybody for a really long time? Here yeah, it is. Yeah, just sharing <laughs> openly everything that we've gone through and that we're going through, right? And realizing that it actually empowers us. It, it is 
a powerful transition. But yeah, so you were you started blogging about the foods and everything and the transitions you were going through. Yeah. And then I noticed that people that I worked with, like somebody found out she had celiac disease and, and somebody found out that her husband had celiac disease and other people that had these health issues were starting to experience relief from them because of the stuff that I was bringing into our company and the things I was sharing through my own journey. And I was like, man, there's something, there's something to this. And then in the midst of all of that, I lost a bunch of weight because I was, you know, experimenting with all these different ways of eating. And mm. I got down to a spot where my body was not really healthy physically, but I was the wellness person, mm. right? Quote wellness person. So I got praised by everyone for my weight loss journey story, where mm. I was like the poster child for all the stuff I was talking about. But what I didn't tell any of them was that my body was not functioning the way a 27, 28 year old woman's body should function. And I was really worried about myself, but I didn't mm. feel like I could communicate that publicly because it would undermine the success story that I had. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and so in my first keynote in 2016, I was speaking at a wellness conference and my before picture was the like, I'm really skinny picture. And the after picture was once I'd gained some healthy weight back as a result of working with integrative medicine doctors that are trained in, you know, functional root cause medicine that really helped me identify what was going on in my body and helped me restore my health and get it back. And then I thought to myself, gosh, if, if I'm the wellness, if I'm this quote wellness person and I can't even talk about this stuff, like what, what space do other people who are struggling with some aspect of their health, mentally, emotionally, physically, relationally, what space do they possibly have? If I'm not even, if I'm not relatable, if I'm not accessible with my messaging. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of me being vulnerable with sharing that journey, which, you know, prepared me very well for two years later when I burned out and got mono and then had to go through my own journey of peeling back the layers of my emotional and mental health that I had frankly neglected. Yeah. That that's what I was even thinking of is that you are out there speaking on stages about well-being and helping people live a healthier life. And then you still ended up getting into this situation where you were essentially burning out. You got mono and kind of, I don't know, you can tell me, tell us right in yeah. a place where you didn't feel like you could operate at, at the level you wanted to be working at. Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, I did what a lot of us do. Like a lot of us, when we're in this mode where we have this expectation to perform at a certain level or to show up in a certain way to other people, we start to take that on as I must do this all the time. And if I don't show up this way all of the time as impressive, as accomplished, as, as achieving, if I'm not showing up as competent and confident with whatever my role is, then people are going to judge me. People are not going to give me opportunities. I don't know who I am if I'm not achieving and performing or helping other people. And I went through this journey of really having to, I was literally silenced. I mean, literally like a dream of drowning leads to issues with my memory leads to sitting in a doctor's office on Valentine's day, instead of being at dinner with my husband, where my very gracious and kind doctor looked at me and asked a question that I think most of us would have trouble being honest about. And I did too, which was, would you say this was brought on by work or that you brought this on yourself? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I, I think you've told me this story before and I, and I remarked on this then and I will again, what a great doctor because most doctors are just like, here's your medication, go away. And there's, and there's a lot of great doctors out there, right? Too, but to ask questions to get to the root cause so you can try to figure it out. Yeah. It's a good one. It was, it was powerful. And it, for me, it was the beginning of like, you got to face this, Rachel, like, what is this? And I started going to therapy, which I encourage anyone to do. I mean, therapy is so powerful of it's hard. It can be hard to find a really good one. I went through a couple, um, mm. but 
you know, I think it's such a gift to ourselves to do the work of getting at our dysfunctional behaviors and being willing to turn the mirror on ourselves, not out of judgment. I don't think judgment and criticism and condemnation are helpful. I don't think they're helpful at all. But I think if we're willing to look in the mirror with curiosity, kindness, grace, and compassion, and feel convicted by what we see and, and feel compelled to change things that are not working or to at least start being honest with people that are close to us that we trust, but hey, I have this tendency to put all my eggs in the basket of work. And I've decided that my only value is when I'm achieving. And the people that know and love you the most are like, you have value just by when I'm in your presence or, mm. or I get value from you just by the a text message you send me, or I get value from you because you make me laugh or, you know, like we lose sight of the fact that we have value beyond what we accomplish and achieve at work. Mm. We place so much value on our productivity and what we accomplish, right? Yes. And I feel like in some ways, I feel this way sometimes, like I always have to be productive. I need to be achieving things. If I'm not, then do I lose some type of self-worth? And what I'm hearing from you is that if you look around at the people that you care about the most, probably your family and your best friends, they're rarely asking you what you are achieving at work. They might be, but- what they care more about is your presence, your love, your kindness, what you give to them, having fun, laughing, spending time together, not necessarily like, hey, how many emails did you send today? Right. And yet that's <laughs> what we focus so much of our time on. Well, yeah. And I think for, you know, anyone listening, there's a book that might be helpful to check out if somebody wants to go through a process like this. There's a book called Immunity to Change mm. by a guy named Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy out of Harvard. And Rosie Ward is a coach who is somebody that I've you know had the opportunity to work with. I met her, gosh, 12 years ago. I mean, really early on in my journey in the industry. And she was always somebody who did things differently. And so I was like, I was always drawn to and curious about people in the industry who were having a different conversation about more, more holistic approach to well-being that integrated career and emotional and social and mental health and well-being and financial, not just physical. And she was doing a coaching program at the same time I burned out. And she reached out to me and was looking for some guinea pigs. I said, sure. I mean, I'm kind of in a bottomed out position right now. So <laughs> uh, I'm open because whatever I'm doing is clearly not working. Hmm. And so she took me through this process of immunity to change. And one of the things we had to do is identify like a goal that we had. And so my goal was to put myself out there more. And whether that meant sharing my, my writing, pitching myself to speak at events, just doing things to show up more intentionally. You also sing publicly now on sing. social media at the conferences <laughs> and different places, right? Yeah, that wasn't even in my realm of possibility or thought in 2017. And then two years later, it was like, oh yeah, that. <laughs> like <laughs> add add the singing thing that that previously terrified and paralyzed you. And so what you do is you think about what is the goal I want to achieve? And then what are the things that you're doing to undermine that goal? So for instance, I'd say, well, I'm not sharing blog posts. I'm not submitting myself to speak at conferences. I'm it's like, what are all the things that I'm not doing? And then I had to look at, well, what are the concerns or fears behind that? And I said, well, I put myself out there too much. People will think I'm self-absorbed or people will think I'm full of myself. Or if I am pursuing these opportunities to eventually do my own thing, which was my goal. I didn't want to work at the job I was at forever. Then I'm going to appear disloyal to my employer. Like there were so many beliefs that I had. And then she, what she had, what you do in this process of immunity to change is you flip those concerns and fears into what's, what are called competing commitments. So 
So you mm. take the, you know, I'm afraid I'll be, and you turn it into an I commit to statement. So instead of I'm afraid I'll be disloyal to my employer, I commit to never being disloyal to my employer. Or going from feel like I have to be the best if I'm going to do a thing. But the competing commitment is I commit to always being and only being the best or I'm not going to do anything. And I was looking at this list of competing commitments and I was like, I don't want to commit to those things. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, no, I don't, I don't want to commit to those. And then beneath all of this, this is like a six-step process, was it what they call a big assumption? So what's the big assumption underlying the commitments that you have and the fears you have and why you're holding back? And my big assumption was that I have essentially that if I put myself out there and, you know, it doesn't go the way that I expect, for instance, that I won't be accepted and that essentially I have to achieve my way into love and acceptance and I have to impress my way into love and acceptance. Right. And if I'm not impressive and I'm not achieving, then I am not worthy of love and acceptance. Like that was the big assumption underneath the reason why I wasn't putting myself out there. Yeah, that's huge. You mentioned at the very beginning that you're, you grew up, your dad was listening to Tony Robbins. And I've read some of his books. I've been to his, his couple seminars. And I remember him saying the, the two biggest fears, look at all fears that everybody has. The two biggest, most of them come back to either I'm afraid that I'm not enough or I won't be loved. Right. And there's a lot of natural psychological reasons for these things. You know, if you look at human evolution and, and us living in tribes for 99% of humanity, like you had to be around other people. You couldn't survive on your own. So you didn't want to get rejected or kicked out of the tribe. But now we still have that fear. And a lot of times it's it's not rational. And, you know, most of the time people are not going around judging us. So if they do, that's that's their problem, right? But we let these fears hold us back. They have for me, they did for me for many years and, and obviously for you as well. Yeah. And I think all of us have our own version of that. And it's it's a it is a the process of self-discovery and self-awareness is one of the most painful. <laughs> And yet one of the most rewarding and healing processes that any one of us can choose to go through and it's endless and it is a lifelong process. Mm, Absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about your journey and I know there's a lot of people listening who are already getting value and thinking about their own journey and how they can live a better life. I know you also work with organizations to help them support their people in well-being and avoiding burnout, right? Which is a big, big issue that started really coming to the forefront in 2020. People were, you know, working more, taking less vacation. That's trend just sort of continued. I mean, as things are getting back to quote normal, people still working a ton. So what are some things that, you know, organizations can be doing and thinking about to support their people and, and avoid the burnout that maybe you and others have gone through? I think a big part of it is checking in on people. I think there's a difference between checking in on people because you genuinely care about them and want to support them and checking up on people because you're micromanaging and monitoring them. Mm. People can feel the difference, right? If someone's reaching out, if you're reaching out as, a, as, as somebody's manager or even team member, because you genuinely care, right? The question of, Hey, how can I best support you right now? Or what would support look like for you right now? Most people are not asking those questions of each other. And most people are too afraid of being a burden to initiate asking for what they need from the people that they work with. So then they just pile up. It's sort of like everyone else is drowning too. Like, who am I to say anything? Mm-hmm. You know, who am I to speak up? Who am I to express a need? I'll just handle it. I'll just take it. Yep. Even though I'm so wiped, 
And so we have this tendency to take on more and more and more and let it pile up and pile up and pile up until we hit a breaking point. And one of the things that I think organizations can do intentionally is to, is to check in on people and to even call out the fears people might have. Like, hey, we know that we haven't done this in the past. And we know that one of the fears you might have of sharing with us maybe what you're struggling with or how you could use support would be maybe that you think that, you know, you're going to be on the chopping block or you're afraid of what we're going to think of you. But like, it's really important to us as an organization to be able to sustain what we're doing and to deliver on our mission is to make sure our people are okay. So, hey, how can I best support you right now? Or what is, what is a tool or resource that, that would help you to do your job more effectively or with more sanity that you don't currently have access to that we can come up with a plan for how to make sure that you get? What support, even asking, hey, is there anything that we could either delegate or automate that's on your plate that's, that's really consuming you or has you concerned? So I think curiosity, really, it's leading with curiosity and and. Mm. and going to people empathy, and, yeah. and empathy, right. And saying, Hey, I reckon it's hard, right. It is hard right now. And so I think taking the time to genuinely check in and to ask how they're doing. There's a question I heard in great places to work an article that Ariana Huffington posed, which was um, what's the most important thing outside of work that helps you thrive. Hmm. And I don't think a lot of people think about that. Like no. in the course of a day or even their career, but to be like, for me, <laughs> Hence why our first conversation wasn't the most awesome. It was like sleep is a, is a, just an absolute necessity for me. Quality sleep. And I like sleep too. You like sleep. I mean, I do. Like, we have so much in common. <laughs> <laughs> I know my bed is so soft and comfortable too. I have the, we have the best mattress. It's like truly, it's a dream. And for me, I know that's a, that's a, that's a non-negotiable for me is if, if I'm not getting good sleep, I'm not going to thrive or things need to be good in my marriage with my husband. Mm. I need to have margin built into my day. So if I'm traveling somewhere and I come back, I give myself a recovery day and I'm not, so I'm not running on fumes, mm. you know, so thinking about maybe it's time with your kids, maybe it's time outdoors. Maybe it's a form of creative expression, like writing or journaling or creating music or doing art of some kind or catching up with a friend or taking a kickboxing class or going for a run. Like mm -hmm. I think a lot of us, we, we end up pushing those things aside and to focus on our work or to focus on other things. And then eventually we get to a point where like the things that bring us joy and bring us life are the very things that we have pushed off. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the, I think that's the first part of it is organizations really getting curious with their people and, and also making sure there's clarity. Like one of the things like role clarity and making sure that people understand what's expected of them mm. and not, making assumptions because sometimes right people won't i'm sure you've seen this and what you do is that people will take on something assume it's theirs to do never even talk about it for like two years assume it's still theirs to do in that same way and if they yeah. just had a conversation with their boss their boss would have been like oh yeah you don't need to be doing that or like oh we can yeah. get that to so-and-so to do yeah, they never ask, that. why are you right? still doing that <laughs> can't believe you're still doing that i never look at that report <laughs> people like that happens a lot i'm with you and this is why self-reflection, self-awareness, so, so important. It's just, I think, not being done enough, you know, in the, in the corporate world. Like how often do people, do you listening, take time to just think about your yourself, your journey, your career, and, you know, leading into what you were talking about, your values, your energizers, the things that you truly care about, what lights you up, what type of work do you love doing? And can you move towards doing more of that and maybe less of the things that you don't want to do. And then we don't always have as much 
autonomy or control in our careers as maybe you and I do, but it, it starts with potentially having a conversation, right? That hard conversation with your manager or somebody else and there starts with self-reflection and then having that conversation. And what I hear you saying is organizations can create more uh, freedom for that and and better well-being by creating a culture that makes that okay, right? Psychological safety. And it's okay to come have that conversation to talk about how you're feeling and you know whether you're overwhelmed and we'll try to work with you on that. And of course, you need leaders to support people with that as well. Yeah. I mean, very well summarized and said. I think it's that. And I think another thing organizations can do that they're just, and we see this both in our work that it's not being done enough, is genuine, consistent recognition and appreciation. Because mm. what that communicates to somebody is, I see you, I value you, you matter. Like when you're specifically pointing out what someone has done well, or you are specifically you're specifically focusing on someone's strengths and inviting them to step into that in a way that makes them light up. That's something that elevates engagement. It improves morale. Like there was, there's research. I was just doing a, a, a keynote for an HR group. And one of the things I talk about is research from Gallup that came out in the early, early 2010s that found that the risk of an employee being actively disengaged, if their manager focuses on their strengths, there's like a 1% chance they'll be actively disengaged, which basically means drilling a hole in the boat, trying to sink it, right? Mm -hmm. If their manager focuses on their weaknesses, there's a 22% chance they'll be actively disengaged. And if their manager ignores them, mm -hmm. there's a 40% chance they'll be actively disengaged. Hmm. So it's like worse to be, think about it with kids, right? Like, <laughs> like kids will take negative attention over no attention. Mm, yeah, that's why they, you know, act out or whatever. I'm not a parenting expert, but I do have a couple. I've read some books, but yeah, books. they do it to get attention, right? Yeah. And it's like acting out. I was listening to this guy, one of my author I love, his name is Gabor Mate. And one of the things he talked about when it relates to this idea of acting out is acting out is really something that we do, particularly think about kids, is acting out their emotions when they don't have the language to communicate what their experience is or how they're mm. feeling in the moment. And most adults are just big kids who never learned how to process or deal with or regulate or communicate or identify or label their emotions. Yep. <laughs> and so if we look at that, if we look at it that way, we can have a bit more compassion for people because it's like, oh, that behavior, that person's not trying to make someone else's day miserable. They really just have a lot of their own stuff that they need to work through. So I think as leaders, one of the most meaningful things any one of us can do is to work with, and I see both, I see a therapist and I have a business coach. And, or, you know, I, th I think those things are two of the most powerful things we can do to do mm. our own work first so that we open up and create the capacity. If we can be with ourselves and our challenges mm -hmm. and face hard truths, we have a greater capacity to then be with other people as they're navigating that space as well, because mm -hmm. we're not coming from a place of deficit. We're coming from a place of awareness and knowledge and, and having an increased capacity, you know, to help other people because we've done our own work. Yeah. I was going to ask you about leadership. I'm glad you went there. I think we're covering a lot of that in, in, with the organization stuff as well, is wanting leaders to lead with curiosity, empathy, compassion. You mentioned all of these things. Kindness is really, really important. And one thing I'm big on that you're speaking to right here is, is putting that ego aside and you know operating with the service mindset, focusing on enabling and empowering your people. And one thing I see often working with managers is that once someone becomes a manager, they feel this pressure to have all the answers. Like I've got to have it all figured out. And what you're saying is like, no, lean into that vulnerability, reach out, get help, hire a coach, whatever it may be, and do the work along, you know, that you ex would want your 
people to do. And even you could even communicate that. This is the journey that I'm on with some authenticity, vulnerability, and it can be empowering and connecting and everybody gets to grow from that experience. Well, I think something that you said that's really important that you know I hadn't thought about before is that most, there's a very low likelihood that managers are going to their organization saying, hey, you know what? I know I've got some stuff to work on. Do you think I could have a coach that could help right. me through this? I think organizations wish they had yeah, <laughs> managers right. who are self-aware enough to right. acknowledge that they have room to grow. It's usually like pulling teeth to be like, okay, managers, we got to get you into this. We got it right. Which is why yep. part of the reason we have jobs is because <laughs> like, <laughs> we got to get you into this program to teach you how to do this stuff you never learned to do. And they right. learn in community. They learn in the presence of each other. And they, you know, we create space for vulnerability and for self-discovery in the context of a collective discovery, which can be really empowering for people to not feel so alone mm. in what they think is a unique experience as a manager who feels incompetent when it comes to dealing with their people. But when they, when they come together and they start sharing their stories and their challenges and what they're doing well or where they're feeling stuck, they realize, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. And like, that's what all of us at the end of the day mm-hmm. want to feel is we want to feel like, oh, I'm not the only one that deals with that. And now that I don't feel like I'm the only one and this is normalized, now mm-hmm. I can talk about it because I'm among peers. I'm among yep. people that are having a similar experience. I'm not the oddball. Yeah. I do see a lot of organizations that are become aware of this and, and starting to offer more coaching as a as a benefit to everyone, you know, using providers like BetterUp or TaskHuman, or there's lots of them out there. I, I don't have any affiliation with any of them, but I'm seeing more of this happening. And it, it's nice. I hear about people taking advantage of it. I want to pivot and talk about something that you talk a lot about is confidence and speaking up in the workplace. And you phrase this unmuting yourself. That's really a big part of your brand. Yeah. Tell me more about what that means and and how you help people with that. So I had the gift in addition. To, so my dad is like, I call him my Yoda. He's <laughs> been like one of my greatest mentors in, in my life. And mm. he was also trained in negotiating. So when I'm, you know, 24, 25 years old, navigating the workplace, I have the benefit of having a dad <laughs> who can teach me how to like negotiate my salary mm. and, you know, just how to navigate the workplace more strategically than I otherwise would have. And so I have always had I don't know, a strong sense of value in terms of that I'm worth investing in. I'm not entirely sure where that comes from other than I saw my parents invest in themselves growing up. It was modeled for me. Yeah. And so from the time, I mean, I remember I was 23, 24 years old asking to go to national conferences in the wellness industry Mm. because I wanted to learn. You know, I just had this, this, this appetite for learning and understanding and connecting and being on the cutting edge of something And so I started going to these conferences and bringing back the learnings that I had so that we could apply them to our organization internally. I work for a benefits consulting firm and to the clients that we served. And once I started doing that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is the best. You know, I like, I'm among my people and, and I I get to learn and I, and I get to take these ideas and, and, and put my own spin on them. And that was such an empowering thing to do. And so part of that was, was advocating for myself early on and making the case for why I wanted to pursue these trainings or go to these conferences. And I, I think it's always important when we're asking for something to tie it back to, and this is how, as you, the organization, this is how you're going to benefit by sending me to this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, for you as somebody who organizes events, right? You're, you're like one of the things you're like, sometimes people need to, Hey, give me the business case so I can go to my 
But sometimes oh. I, str- I struggle with that too. And I'm trying to get better at helping people with that because it's become so innate in me that I need to invest in myself. I'm just always investing in my, in my own development. Yeah. And I see people all the time. They're like, well, no, I, I got to try to figure out how to get my company to pay for it. And I'm like, well, first of all, you got to find a way to communicate the value. But second of all, like if they don't, like you could pay for it yourself because you are worth it. You are important. But I understand everybody's in a different place and certainly different budgets and resources and all that sort of stuff. But this is something that I think all of us in talent development need to get better at, which is speaking the language of the business, right? And and understanding what's in it for the other side. You know, you talked about learning negotiation from your dad. By the way, like I just can I adopt your dad as like a like dot like he just seems like he provides so much wisdom. He I does. love my own dad, but you know, it sounds like a lot of a lot of benefits there. But yeah, the, the, like we need to be able to if we are asking for permission or a, you know, them to cover coming to for instance, I'm hosting a conference coming up soon, the Talent Development Think Tank conference is February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California and you should buy your tickets today and if you need help convincing your organization why you should talk about the value and the benefits you're going to get and how it's going to help them become a better organization, create a better culture, all that sort of stuff. And if we don't have a document on our website yet, we'll put something up there to help people communicate that. Yeah, there you go. I've seen that before on other places, like how to convince your company to Mm -hmm. let you go, you know? And I, I think for me getting clear, something I hadn't done for a while with even my own CEO at my previous job was finding out what mattered to him. And so asking him questions like, you know, if we could fast forward and, you know, our company has made the cover of Time magazine as the one of the healthiest companies in the country, you know, what what are some of the things you want to overhear people saying and what are some of the things we've done? And he's like, you know, I want to hear people saying, oh, I've changed my behavior. I've changed my life. It's fun. You know, he most executives like to be seen as thought leaders mm-hmm. among their peers and recognition is a way to do that. And so I learned in 2012, we got our first recognition as one of the healthiest workplaces through, you know, filling out applications and writing and writing essays and and documenting all this stuff and our success and tracking our numbers. It was a pretty involved thing to do. But once I started doing that, something that I would really struggle to get funding for within the organization, even little by little, we started getting more recognition that were regional, you know, local, regional, national awards. And at that, you know, by a certain point, by the time I left that job, we didn't even have a conversation about what our budget was for culture and well-being. It was just like it was embedded in how the organization, you know, valued those things. You know, it was it was a very clear value that those things were important. And so, you know, I think part of it is really getting clear on what's important to your leaders. Like, do you know, have you ever asked them? Have you ever asked them what is the most important aspect of or what do you want to see the organization celebrating or what becomes possible if we become like a truly learning centric organization? What's possible here? Hey, CEO, what do you want to learn? What are you pursuing? What are you curious about? These are questions we don't often ask. What are you reading right, right now? What are you listening right. Right to right now? Right. We don't ask these questions enough and show up with curiosity. And that can be such a powerful thing. So I think getting clarity on those things, to your point, feeling, and oftentimes I did too. I didn't always get stuff covered. I invested in myself. I spent mm. my own money on things. And, you know, I also advocated for myself when I you know, got to the point where I realized I got that national, I got this award, right, of the top number one health promotion professional in the United States. I was like, I don't know what that's worth, but that is worth something because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're putting it in all the RFPs and they're doing a press release and they're, you know, and so we start to recognize, well, what is the value of what I'm responsible for within this organization mm. and being clear on, you know, how, how do you want me to track the success or even 
paying attention to what people are thanking you for most often and the feedback that you're getting from people about the impact of your work, again, in this learning and development space and being able to consistently communicate that more than once a year at an annual review Hmm. so that it's front of people's mind that, hey, this work is impactful and I'm aligned with you, leader, what you think is valuable here in this organization. So this is about understanding what's important to your leaders in the organization, understanding the value you bring, and also being willing to promote yourself, essentially, to talk about the work that you do and the value you bring, to advocate for yourself and not just sit around and wait for the recognition or the offers or the opportunities to come because they don't always come, right? We have to advocate for ourselves. And I talk about building your personal brand. It goes right along with that. And I think there's a balance sometimes. So many people are afraid of seeming egotistical or arrogant or whatever it is, right? They've they've grown up and been taught to be humble and quiet and let your you know results speak for themselves. But that's not always the case, right? We have to advocate for ourselves. We've got to be willing to showcase some of that, some of that work. Well, no, you're right. And especially as women, it's like, oh gosh, do not by any means to your own horn. Do not, mm. do not do that. Like that is ugh, that's icky. You know, that's what we tell people. And so The unfortunate thing is if I were to ask a group of people, hey, tell me something about yourself or turn to your neighbor and share something that you don't really like about yourself or that's a flaw that you have or an inadequacy. People are like, do you have five hours? You know, most of us start by telling you (laughs) here. All right. Let me tell you all the things. Yeah. But when you ask people what they're proud of, you know what I mean? Like that. What are you really good at? Right. What's your your superpower? People like, um, I did this exercise with some participants in my training program the other day. And a couple people were just like, most of the things I heard were like, well, people tell me that I'm really nice. I'm like, that's your super, there's gotta be things that you're really good at, but they're fr- people are afraid to put the stake around and say, well, I'm really good at organizing projects or getting things done or speaking on stage. Because the moment you say that you're now vulnerable to someone else going, no, you're not. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've heard yeah. you speak, Rachel. Come on. Right. You're full of it. You yeah. know, if you put that out there, if I say, hey, like one of my strengths is singing, right? I do. I sing mm. and it's something that I integrate into my keynotes. I started doing that two and a half years ago. And, you know, for most people, they're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Do you do that every time? You should do that every time. And for, for the most part, it's that's what it is. Yep. But sometimes, and this is the importance of understanding who you're for and who you're not for, which is mm. a different conversation, but it's branding related. And so I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll bring it up. Mm-hmm. Is you know, I was there was another group that I was working with, and I felt like I was being heavily monitored in terms of how I was doing what I do, and I felt mm. like I wasn't able to show up and do the work that the way that I know it's most effective because of I don't know if you've ever had that situation of someone like, well, we need to do this, we can't do that, when I'm like, well, that, oh yeah, <laughs> that's like the thing that works though, and you're like, but Wait don't do minute. that. I'm like, you're not going to have the outcome you're hoping for because like that's what do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like it's mm-hmm. you get it. And it's hard to be in that spot. And there was something that happened recently where I was asked not to play any music in between, you know, when you're bringing people in and out of a breakout, you'll play mm-hmm. some soft music, background music, whatever. It was like no music. And at the end we were talking about, you know, unmuting ourselves and stepping forward in courage. And I had shared the thing, how I silenced my voice and, you know, it was encouraging people to like, just to, to stand in their strengths, kind of like Care Bear stare, where you've got that big, like light coming out of your chest and yeah. you're just letting yourself be seen and, yeah. and celebrated. And so, and I've done this, I can't even tell you over a dozen times before of, of singing like a little snippet of, of this little light of mine, like not just 15 seconds, maybe like what, how would that go? How'd that go? You want me to do it no. now? No, <laughs> so here we go. Okay. Here we go. This little light of mine 
I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Oh, you got a nice voice. Oh, thank you. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you do. So like, you know, it might be like that, but it's in the context of a thing. And I remember this is the only time I've gotten this feedback of having done this dozens, you know, times before of, oh, I don't know. That was just kind of, that was a sour note to end on. Hmm. You know, my ego, of course, our ego can be, it's vulnerable to even show Fragile. that. It's really, it's yeah. uncomfortable for me to even like publicly mm -hmm. put that out here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Had my it's moments. A, it's a fear. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a fear I care with my whole life of mm -hmm. like that part of you is not good enough and shall not be seen publicly. Mm. And we all have a version of ourselves that is like that part of you is to be kept in private and secret and not be seen or heard by anyone. That's how I treated my voice for so much of my life. And I've had enough experience that has validated what I do and how I do it and the message that I'm delivering that people have been moved by this mm -hmm. and that people have, there's another, I'll, I do another thing where I share a story of how I found my voice. And there's a snippet of a gospel choir song that I sing about like, you know, the lyric is this morning when I rose, I didn't have no doubt because we're talking about moving through courageously our doubts and fears. And I'll typically end, you know, a keynote with singing a clip of that. All that to say, sometimes we silence ourselves because of the opinions of other people. And we hold back aspects of ourselves that are very alive yeah. and very authentic mm -hmm. and very real and very vulnerable out of fear of what other people will think of us. That's right. And I've done that for a lot of my life. And I could choose to let an experience like that mute me again and say, see, Rachel, mm. you shouldn't do that. That's just, that was really cringy. Do you see, you should, you should internalize their interpretation of you and their experience. And Even though dozens of people presumably have told you how moving it was to hear you sing and that, that what you did and they love it, absolutely love it. And then one person yeah. is critical. This, yeah. Everybody does. And we all do this, right? And you're like, we oh, well, not going to do that anymore because you don't want to hear that one, that yeah. one criticism. You let the critique of one person whose opinion may or may not even actually matter to you, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you really are honest with yourself. I, I did this, by the way, with, uh, you know, once I started a few years ago, I started sharing a lot of content on social media. I know you're very active and you, you share some really great, inspiring content on LinkedIn and have a lot of followers there. And I would be sharing stuff all the time. And then, you know, occasionally my brother or a couple other people would make fun of me. And I would kind of get that cringe feeling like, oh, I, maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore. Right. Meanwhile, so many other people are saying, I love your content. You've been inspiring me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Blah, blah, blah. You inspired me to do this or that. But I would get that one little criticism, especially from somebody close to me. And then I had to tell myself one day and remind myself, this is not for him. This is not for them, right? This is for the people who need this content right now. And that singing was not for that one person who has certain rules about how presentations go. It was for all the people, women and men, who need to hear you talk about that and sing in that moment and how powerful it would be for them. Yeah, exactly. Well said. And I appreciate what you said because it's like sometimes we are afraid of putting ourselves out there personally or professionally, right? Because of what someone's going to think of us. And it's the, when we can accept as hard as it is, we can come to a place of acceptance of we are going to be for some people and we are not going to be for others. We're going to be good enough for some people. We're going to be not good enough for other people. That's yep. the reality of life for all humans. True. Always. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, you know, I've got uh, my books on Amazon. I have like 255 star reviews, but there's a couple one and two star reviews in there. People are like, yeah, I've heard this before. This is the same. That's nothing new here.
Like, well, good for you. You've read a lot of books on this. Thanks for giving it a shot. You know, thanks for reading it. Thanks for reading. It's not going to be for everybody. I appreciate it. (laughs) One more person, right? But I know there are other people, and that's what gave me the confidence to publish my book, right? I know there are other people who need that message and they need it packaged in the way that I'm delivering it. Because there's nothing new in there. It's everything I've learned from other people, right? Sure. But they needed to hear it from me, just like there's so many people that need to hear that message from you. Thanks. I appreciate that. And it's true. You know, it's like, this is how we find courage. We start doing the thing (laughs) and we do the thing even when it's hard and we do the thing, even when it's not, even when we face rejection and we do the thing, you know, it's, 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 it's that persistence also being open, right? If there's something that is a teachable moment, the thing I learned from that, we all learn in the midst of our journeys in learning and speaking of learning and development Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is I learned that I'm going to be more discerning when I'm in an intro conversation or discovery call with somebody. And I'm getting the feeling that I'm trying to be controlled and monitored and muted. Mm. Those people aren't for me. And now I can sooner have a conversation and say, you know what? I don't know the the best fit for you. Here's somebody else who might be, Mm -hmm. but to really stand my ground more, not out of, not out of defiance or stubbornness, but Mm. out of knowing what I know that works and standing by with integrity that's right. What that is. Yeah. You know what works and and you have enough confidence and experience now to know that you want to work in a relationship where you can be yourself and and provide the value that you provide. And if you feel like that's not going to be the case, then you can walk away. And how empowering is that for you, you know, for you to do that for yourself? And not to mention when you say, Oh, you know what, I don't think I'm for you. Maybe you should work with somebody else. Then then the other side, they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> Why not? Right? Yeah. We don't. We it's don't like being me. rejected, especially right. when we're trying to be a you know as a client. Rachel, we, we got to wrap this up. I, it's too bad because I literally have a list of like twenty more bullet points of questions and things uh-huh. that I want to talk to you about. So I hope that we can do this again sometime. And we still, I still want to get to our bonus uh, Q and A as well, so you have time. But one other thing I wanted to sneak in here was mindset, and I think it ties into everything we've talked about. It's one of my favorite subjects, and I know you do a talk and and work with people on resetting mind mindset and boosting resilience. What's one more thing you would say about that as, as people are listening and think, okay, I, I have obviously have some changes to make. We all have improvements we can make. Right. Yeah. And a lot of this I think comes down to our mindset to building more confidence. What else would you add when it comes to resetting that mindset and, and boosting resilience? Yeah. So one of the teachers that I love in this space is uh, Rick Hansen. I've had the opportunity to learn from him. My dad and I went to a positive neuroplasticity course that he taught a couple years ago. And if I could give you the cliff notes version of it, it would be these three factors to ask yourself when you're in the midst of going through a change process, when you're in the, when you're facing something that was unexpected, a source of adversity, one would be to, to ask yourself, what can I accept? What can I choose to accept right now about the situation? So it may be that I accept like when I got, you know, when I burned out, I accept that I'm in a place of burnout right now. Instead of being mad at myself, instead of resisting it, what do I need to accept about the current situation? What can I choose to accept about the current situation that I'm otherwise resisting? One, to free up energy to move through it. The second one is what do I need to release? What do I need to let go of? There's a, is there an expectation? Is there a belief? Is there a way of thinking, doing, or being that is not serving me, that's keeping me in a place of stuckness and frustration in the midst of this thing that I don't like, that I didn't want to have happen, this adversity, this challenge? So what do I need to release? And what can I choose to receive? So in the midst of this, can I choose to receive support? Because most of us are not resilient just by pushing ourselves up off the ground alone. We're resilient as a result of leaning on other people and getting support from other people. And maybe it's, maybe it's receiving rest. Maybe it's receiving love. Maybe it's 
integrating, like we've touched on how we can put more joy into our lives. Maybe it's receiving self-compassion, but what is it that we can choose or just taking in the goodness when we're in a moment of goodness, we're in a moment of gratitude of something that we're enjoying of sitting with it five to 10 seconds longer. So what can we choose to accept? What can we choose to release? And what can we choose to receive? And when we can Mm. get clarity around those things, that's, that's one of the things as well as just reminding ourselves for the proof, looking for the proof in your past of when you've gotten through a hard thing before, mm. how you navigated it and how you can apply a lesson learned from that to whatever you're going through currently. I think those are, that's sort of like the 90 second version of <laughs> so good that piece. So good. And in, in the last <clears throat> one more additional moment of we have so much in common in my book and keynotes, I talk about the three questions to ask anytime you face a big challenge. And I think there's some similarities. I really like yours. So mine three questions are, what is great about this? You know, what are the silver linings? What can I learn from this? Which is especially important if it's the challenge is due to a mistake that you made, right? Uh-huh. And the third one is, what does this make possible? Because I believe that, you know, whenever doors close, they, they often open yes. new opportunities, right? And so the questions you said, or what can I choose to accept about the situation right now? Uh-huh. What do I need to release or let go of? And what can I choose to receive? I really love yes. those. And I can see how that can help so many people. And we all go through challenges. We all need these questions. We need these reflections and we need these conversations. So thank you for coming on and having this conversation with me, Rachel. Yeah, thank you. I, I enjoyed it. And of course, if anyone, we always like to hear from people when they listen to it and let us know let us know what you think. Let us know what helped you. It's not it's not weird. It's not stalkerish. We actually really enjoy when we hear from people. So please feel free to message us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Make sure that if you're on LinkedIn, go follow Rachel on LinkedIn. She's creating great content on there. And you can find more info on, I assume your website, racheldruckenmiller.com is, is a great place to go, right? Yeah, unmutedlife.com. Rachel Druckenmiller will direct to it, but most ah, people- Okay, unmutedlife.com. All right, going back to that unmuted <laughs> brand. I like it. Okay, cool. Well, we are wrapping this up, Rachel, but- we, we did this before and we're redoing it now. How would you rate our conversation today compared to the, the first one oh, we recorded? It just, it felt more organic and just mm. freer. I don't know how else to explain it. I mean, it, it felt really, um, I don't know, aligned and e- there was an ease to it. So if we're looking at an, ever looking at an NPS, what do we say? Like a nine, nine, 9.8, yeah. a 10 out of 10. There's always room for yeah. opportunity for always anything for, for both of us. Right. <laughs> I guess it depends on what people think who are listening but I feel like this is a much more powerful conversation and I'm glad that we took the time to do this again. And I'm so glad that you came and took the time to come speak with me again. So thanks again for being here. Thank you for having me, Andy. Appreciate it. All right. That will do it for my interview with Rachel Druckenmiller. I hope you really enjoyed that wide ranging conversation on resilience, on well-being, on unmuting yourself, on leadership. I always really enjoy talking with Rachel. I've had a few great conversations with her. We're aligned on many things. Uh, I'm just so impressed with some of the work that she has done. So I hope you know some of those things resonated with you and you got value from it like I did. I look forward to talking with her more and maybe having her back on the podcast again in the future and following all the work that she is doing. And I hope he gave you things to think about and how you are developing and building resilience among your employees, how you're providing well-being and creating a great and healthy culture in your organization and how you might be developing your leaders. And I've actually been working on a framework around what I call modern leadership to really teach leaders to be great managers and support their people in owning their careers 
in this modern world. And that's something that I'm working on for a future book and a development program to help organizations in this area. And and Rachel does similar work. Uh, So feel free to reach out to either of us if you're working on improving leadership and resilience in your organization. Also, if you're looking to up your game in talent development to improve these things and leadership is a focus for you, you got to come check out the Talent Development Think Tank Conference that we are hosting in February 2023 because we've got some really great speakers who will be talking on similar topics around leadership. Claude Silver, who's the Chief Heart Officer of VaynerMedia, speaks often about sort of modern leadership and how empathy and love and kindness tie into being a great modern leader. Susan Schmidt Winchester, who's the CHRO of Applied Materials and the author of the book Healing at Work with Martha Finney. And she's going to be talking about using past trauma and really healing at work and using that to create and retain employees and create great culture. Jessica Parisi-Scone, who is the CEO of BTS Group and one of the greatest leaders I've ever worked for, who is going to be talking about the latest trends she's seeing out there in talent development, what great leadership looks like today in our world. We also have my friend Tim Hagen, who's going to be running a session on coaching, the ABCs of coaching. Uh, Tim Olieri, Mr. Meaningful Work, who's going to be running a session on creating a great culture. And Massimo Bacchus, who is an executive coach and an expert on something called compassionate leadership. And he's going to be running a session on that. So really a lot of great sessions in this realm of leadership. And so something you definitely, definitely want to check out if that is a topic that you are interested in. And I think we all are interested in this topic of leadership among all others in talent development. So if you haven't gotten a ticket yet, uh, head on over to our website, tdtt.us slash conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. And uh, reach out to me if you have any questions, and I hope to see you there. By the way, our podcast is still sponsored by Advantage Performance Group, who was also a sponsor of our conference back in 2020 and provided a lot of really great facilitators like Brent Snow, Kelly Dujois, Libby Maycomer from Selami, and many others. And uh, they've been a great partner for our podcast for the last four years. And so I want to acknowledge them and, and recognize that if you're looking, recognize them as a sponsor and tell you if you're looking for any great experiential learning programs to really help your people become better leaders, develop better business acumen, become better salespeople, then they've got a lot of great solutions. Many of them are experiential and can help you develop better leaders, better salespeople, better business acumen, all of those things, plus tons of great free resources on their website. Just go to advantageperformance.com. That's advantageperformance.com. All right. Thank you again for listening. I appreciate you and stay tuned next time. In just a couple of days, I'll be releasing my bonus Q&A with Rachel Druckenmiller, which I think you will greatly enjoy. Cheers. Cheers.